G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. You know, Hindus obviously believe that there are many gods, so Jesus can just become another god in their suite of gods. You know, so there wasn't that um, my parents were against me being a Christian when I first became one, but, you know, like it just got all enmeshed together. It wasn't until I became closer to teenagehood that I was actually working out what was Christian and which one was Hindu sometimes. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, author Melanie Saywood was born in Australia to Hindu parents from Fiji. Growing up in Sydney, she was understandably a bit confused as she was sent to a Christian school while following Hindu traditions at home. Today, Melanie will share her story with us as she has a chat with Eric Scatterbo. Melanie Saywood, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you with us. And where are you joining us from today? I'm joining from Brisbane. Okay, up there in Brizzy. And let's yeah. find out a little bit about your background. Were you born and raised in the yeah. Brisbane area? No, I wasn't actually. I was born in Sydney and mm-hmm. uh, was raised there. I, we moved up here to Brisbane, uh, my husband and I, about 14 years ago. We worked out this week. And um, yeah, so that was after we got married, about two years after we got married that we moved up here. But yeah, most of my experiences have been in Sydney with, you know, family down there. And um, it's where I became a Christian, where I first started attending church as well. So, yeah, most of my experience has been obviously been in Australia, but mm-hmm. um, more recently in Brisbane. And tell us about your parents. Yeah, so um, my parents are Hindu. They were both born in Fiji and uh, came to Australia I think it's about 40 years ago now, and um, I am the only one of my family that is born in Australia, and they came to Australia by themselves and didn't Mm -hmm. have family to support them, so they had to do everything from scratch, and they were really, really passionate about giving us the kind of future that they felt was, you know, well provided for, and Mm so... Both my brother and I were sent to Christian school with the assumption that Christian schooling would be the best in terms of education because it's a private school environment. Here there are Hindus, but yet they sent you to a Christian school. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, my mum also went to a Christian school in Fiji, so she knew exactly what it was going to be like. But yeah, they they obviously did that for education. I think they didn't really think about the fact that I could come out (laughs) of that schooling scenario having been as passionate as I am about Jesus. So I think that kind of backfired on them a little bit. But, you know, it's all good. We have great relationships, so, you know, they're, they're all good. I'm just wondering, what was your childhood like? You're being told one view of the world at home, the Hindu faith, and then you go to school and hear a whole different kind of view. Is that kind of what you were experiencing? Yeah, um, I found it quite interesting. Like I am naturally a bit of an observer of Mm -hmm. people's behavior. And what I found was that 
I got this incredibly vivid kind of view of Christian families through my friends and, and all that kind of stuff. But then I also had my own experience. What it made me often feel like is that it was really hard to feel like I was fully connected in one or the other. It was mm. very much felt like I was always on the fence just watching everything happen. And I know that it definitely affected my interpretation of faith growing up as well because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hindus obviously believe that there are many gods, so yeah. Jesus can just become another god in their suite of gods. Oh, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so there wasn't that um, my parents were against me being a Christian when I first became one, but, you know, like it just got all enmeshed together and I kind of, you know, like looking back, I'm not really sure I fully understood what was Christian and which one was Hindu sometimes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I became closer to teenagehood that I was actually working out, oh, right, okay, that's what Hindus do and this is a Christian thing because you have the ability to comprehend what you're doing and yeah. understand it better. But it was, I'm sure it was confused for quite some time when I was in that pre-teen kind of phase And, you know, like my parents had a little prayer closet at our house and I know that like some of my Christian friends and their parents felt really awkward sometimes sending their kids to our house because they'd be confronted with questions like themselves about why does Mel's family have a little prayer room and and all that kind of stuff. But I presume it was really just the grace of God, to, to be honest, because I was able to walk that through and it wasn't usually weird for me. And when did you actually put your faith in Jesus? So I think it was probably around the age of eight. The specific age is all a bit gray to me, but Mm -hmm. um, it was quite interesting how it happened. So from what I understand, I was coming home and asking a lot of questions about God and Jesus, and I really have always been like a bit of a philosophical kind of person. Mm -hmm. And I had a cousin who was actually coming, moved to Australia for about six months from Fiji just to study, and she was staying at another family's house, but she'd come and visit us every couple of weekends. Mm -hmm. And I can very clearly remember being at um, our breakfast bar one morning and talking to her about Jesus and saying, like, I heard, you know, this is what... Jesus is about and etc. Mm-hmm. And my parents and my brother and everything were all upstairs fast asleep. And so she actually took me through the prayer to receive Jesus. And oh, so wow. from then onward, I actually was attending church with her. Um, she was going to a Pentecostal church, a sort of ACC sort of church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but she then had to go back to Fiji. So it probably was only for about maybe three or four months that I was attending that church. Mm-hmm. And then she returned and I pretty much didn't go to church again until I was about 14. But yeah, that was like the moment that I officially received Jesus into mm-hmm. my life kind of thing. Yeah. And then of course the journey was like interesting from there on, like, I probably still didn't quite understand how the Hindu faith and the Christian faith were interacting because yeah. I was still going to the temple with my parents, for instance, and mm-hmm. and offering the foods and all that kind of stuff that you do there, having to participate in prayers when they had prayer ceremonies at home, and then going to school and hearing about Jesus in assembly. But somehow it worked. Again, just think that it's the grace of God. I was going to ask you, do the two conflict with each other or was there some kind of a harmony in a sense? Well, at least for in your experience. I think on the surface it feels like there would be harmony because Hinduism kind of attests to having this faith where 
it's accommodating of other faiths. So, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you can be a Christian as well because if Jesus just becomes another God. But to be faithful to what Jesus says, it can't be consistent with Hinduism, if that makes sense. Right. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man gets to heaven except through me. So the yeah. whole idea of having several gods is in direct contrast yes. with Hinduism. But yeah. apparently you didn't know that at, at such a young age. Is that right? No, not at like eight. Eight yeah, was yeah. probably too young for me to comprehend it. But mm-hmm, um, yeah. I mean, there were obviously things I observed that was so blaringly different between the two faiths when I was growing up, which mm-hmm. was that, uh, you know, if I actually asked my parents about Hinduism, they often couldn't really answer my questions because Hinduism and Indian culture is so intertwined. Hmm. They often do things because it is a cultural expectation to do things. They don't necessarily always know why. It's just what we do. Mm -hmm. You're born into this. Like You're a Hindu because you're born into Hinduism. So whereas I could ask questions about, you know, the Christian faith and I would have, you know, teachers or friends explain to me about how Jesus answers this question or how Jesus. So there was already those kind of things that were clearly making it obvious to me that the faith that I could have in Jesus was one that was real, Mm. that could actually heal and wasn't just about behaviours and routines and Mm -hmm. sacred holidays that you celebrate that you have no idea why you celebrate. Now, that's not the case for everyone who's Hindu, by the way. That was my experience, yes. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with author Melanie Saywood, who's sharing about what it was like growing up in a home with Hindu parents and following Hindu traditions while attending a Christian school and growing in her new Christian faith. We'll hear more of Melanie's story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is author Melanie Saywood, who's joining us from her home in Brisbane. Melanie is the author of the book Ministry Stinks, One Leader's Journey from Despair to Joy, and also Disillusioned, When We Get Lost Following Jesus. Before the break, Melanie was sharing what it was like growing up in a home with Hindu parents while attending a Christian school and growing in her new Christian faith. Now, here's more of Melanie's story. I think my parents knew that I wasn't a Hindu, but I certainly did have to follow the traditions because... Mm -hmm. If we were going to temple, for instance, I couldn't say, no, I'm not coming. Mm -hmm. Or if we had a prayer ceremony at home, Mm -hmm. I couldn't say, no, that was their home. They they held that. But, you know, there was a point I got to where I did make a decision that Jesus was the way and that that was the faith that I was living out and that I didn't believe that Hinduism was the way. Mm -hmm. It's quite a sort of, I shouldn't say funny story because it certainly wasn't funny at the time, but (laughs) (laughs) well, I was getting really passionate about my faith because I sort of, I was 19 years old, I was in a church service and I have this major epiphany in the middle of the service that God is real. 
Hmm. And it's like this massive, like, you know, light bulb went off in my head of, oh, wow. Like, he's not some figment of my imagination. Like, it's not like I'm just talking to myself when I pray. Like, he's actually real and he Hmm. can hear me and he interacts with us. And so that, like, was a huge revelation. And on the back of that, I started to become really passionate about my faith. And Mm -hmm. on this Sunday night, I can remember... They were preaching a sermon about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I was thinking, oh, wow, like I didn't think about it in terms of how it fit into my life in practice, but I was like, oh, wow, that really stirred something in me. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, my mum sort of goes, oh, we're going to go to the temple today, and your aunties are coming along and whatnot. Anyway, we turn up to the temple, and I'm, you know, just standing outside the temple going, oh, no, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I can't do this. I actually can't do this anymore. And, um, you know, so my mum comes to the back of the temple and says to me, oh, aren't you going to come? And I said, oh, I can't do this. And it was in front of her sisters, which was like terribly, yes, brought, you know, a bit of shame to her. Like, Mm. And I was like, oh, I should have thought about this before this all happened. But anyway, and then the following Sunday, I'm getting praised at church for that. But behind the scenes in my own family, I'm Mm. getting... um, not persecuted because persecuted is too strong a word, yeah. but I certainly was getting treated with some rejection and some, they weren't happy with me about yeah. what had happened. So, Well, you were going against the family tradition. I was. And mm-hmm. before then, I was able to continue having this faith, but it not be offensive to them. Mm-hmm. So this was the point at which it became offensive because mm-hmm. I was doing something that was actually like, sorry, I'm not going to do the stuff that you've always had yeah. me do. Yeah. So anyway, so that was kind of a big moment and, you know, it took a long time actually to repair some of the relationship with my parents around that. That had to be hard. I mean, you want to honor your your mother and father, but they're asking you to do something that you no longer had a conviction to do and you wanted to grow in your new faith. So it just had to be a hard situation. Oh, absolutely. And I am certainly very passionate about honoring, especially my parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always take a significant amount of space in each of the books that I've written to actually really say how much I honor my parents because they're actually really good people and they've been Mm -hmm. fantastic parents to me. And to be fair to them, I'd never given them the expectation that I would ever resist before then. So it was probably the surprise of it that was... A bit of a shock, I'd imagine. It was, exactly, it was a bit of a shock. And so then they had to go through this whole journey of, are we okay with this whole thing, with her going to church and her being so radical? Hmm. Um, And I was a young adult. I was like 18, 19 and completely immature still. So I probably didn't really work out how much I needed to repair the relationship with my parents until I moved up to Brisbane. And since then, our relationships have been really great and they're able to respect what I'm doing and I respect the choices that they make also. So, yes, but it certainly has been tough. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting tightrope to walk on to figure out how to honour your parents but still be able to say that, well, that's not what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was as a young adult and then eventually you go on to ministry. Tell us about that. Yes, Yeah, so it was a good 10 years later. Um, Mm -hmm. I probably thought that I was called to ministry long before that. I I felt like I was really passionate about people in their faith. And actually the decision to really go all in for Jesus and pass away from the things that I'd been 
living in terms of Hinduism probably actually made me more passionate because I had this audience now that were watching me when it came to my faith and I wanted to show them that Jesus was the real deal. Um, When you say an audience, who are you referring to? My family, not just my immediate family. I had cousins and and aunties and uncles and Mm -hmm. everything. So, you know, I'd often go to family get-togethers and someone would say something that would make me the subject of conversation in Mm -hmm. terms of my faith and I would have to answer all these questions about how... You know, yeah, it was really quite strange. Like I'd I'd often be like, what? I mean, why are they asking me this right now in front of everyone? Hmm. But that's just how it was. And I kind of got used to that. So it just meant that my convictions were stronger because I was, there was people watching to see whether or not this faith was real that I had. And so Hmm. it had to be real. I couldn't fake it. I had to be real about it. Anyway, so fast forward 10 years later, um, I had been working in counselling and and actually helping people with injuries, like returning to work and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I basically was at church one day, and this was just after I'd had my daughter, so she's probably about six months old by the time. Mm -hmm. I had been having this whole feeling of, is this it? Like, I just go to work each day, and I feel like I've got to do more than this. I want to do more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I'd sort of realised that, look, there might be some kind of internal transition going on, like there was something prompting me to want to Mm -hmm. change. Yeah. And so I'm at church one day. And they're announcing the internship program at the church. And, you know, it was like that light bulb moment again. Oh, wow, is this what you want me to do, God? I should do this internship program. And so, you know, as a family, we reshuffled life so that I basically changed my job so that I didn't have to work as many days so I could still have enough time with my my daughter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically the next year I'm doing the internship. And then the internship was like a total adventure because it's very humbling to have gone from working like 10 years in corporate industry to like cutting vegetables and fruit for, (laughs) you know, a creative night. So (laughs) it was very humbling. It was very humbling. The first few days I was cutting those vegetables and I'm going, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Mm. And then by the fifth day I was like, come on, Mel, just remember that it's like worship. Like this is Mm. your worship to God, right? So you don't do it for people, you do it for God. Anyway, so I I came to terms with all that. But by the end of the year I kind of felt like, I'm going to end up working here. I could kind of feel it. And, Mm. of course, you know, two weeks later I'm getting pulled into one of the offices and saying, hey, would you like to work for us? You could basically I was going to be working sort of split role. So I'd do Mm. a couple of days in the creative team and then a couple of days in the connect groups team, which is small groups. And um, I was like, oh, yes, like absolutely. I'm going to be doing something for God, you know. (laughs) That's how I perceived it. For some reason before then I didn't think I was doing something for God. But as soon Mm. as you say church ministry, you feel like, oh, I'm finally doing something for God, which is not the right attitude, of course. But anyway, I um, started working there and the first six months were like, they were like bliss. It was so amazing. I was like, you know, doing all these creative things and being able to come up with ideas and just being a part of the team and I loved it. And then by six months we had this event that was happening at our church and I was kind of one of the key people that was organising the actual items. Mm -hmm. And the Sunday morning after the event, I'm walking out the house and my daughter, who by that time is probably almost, most two years old, mm-hmm. is running to the door saying, Mummy, Mummy, don't leave me. And I just went, 
I closed the front door and I stood at the door for about five seconds just going, mm. what are you doing, Mel? Like, this is not good. You've never heard those kind of words come out of your daughter's mouth before and it's mm-hmm. not really something I would ever want to hear, do you know? Like, for whatever reason, she might have only been two, but she's clearly perceiving that I'm not here for her as much mm. as she thinks. Oh, that must have really cut deep. Oh, it was it was awful. I think I was in my the pastor that I was reporting to at the time, like I was in her office almost every day just crying, just going, I can't do this. Like hmm. if this is the pace I've got to do it at, I don't think I can actually do this job. Oh. I don't know how I'm going to be there for my two-year-old child. And, you know, there was a lot of other staff members that had kids, but the women that were on staff that had kids, most of their kids were probably later primary sort of age to high schools, they didn't have kids that were still in nappies and they were trying to work out all of that kind of stuff. So I was the only one and I felt very isolated because Mm. of that. So were you full-time? Almost. I was about four days a week. Okay. So a lot of hours. A lot of hours. A lot of nights as well. Like when when you're in it and you're loving it, you don't actually think about how that probably isn't great for your family. Mm. But at the time was just so loving it and my husband and I just kept, you know, working together to to make it happen. But then I hit that six months and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Mm. And so, like, I actually talk about it a fair bit in the first book that I wrote because... Yeah, I was going to say... The first book is called Ministry Stinks, One Leader's Journey from Despair to Joy. So I'm assuming this is the despair part. This is the first despair that I probably Oh, there's more despair to come. Yeah, well, it was different things at different times, of course. But that one was more about me and my capacity to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, how was I, as a young mum with a young child, going to manage the responsibility I was and, you know, and a husband whose whose work was completely exploding at the time as well. Mm, yeah. And mentally I went really downhill like really quickly. Mm. And so I didn't know, you know, I had kind of given up my career thinking I was going to work in a church and I'm sitting there kind of going, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Like I've, yeah. I've given it all up and I don't really know if I can do this. Like, and I remember we had a conference that was coming up And I basically said to God, you know, like you're making these little deals with God, right? I said to God just before the conference, unless something amazing or something so clear happens to me in the conference, I'm coming back from this conference and I'm going to quit. And this was only after six months, which is like a rule for me. I hardly ever quit any jobs on such a short length of time in in the job, right? But, of course, I went to the conference and something happened. I was, you know, in worship and I can't even really remember the specifics, but some something was said on stage and it spoke exactly to what my situation was. And, you know, the waterworks happened and <laughs> I sat down and started writing down, what are you saying, God, you know, this is what you want, and, and basically got this um, impression that I am where I am supposed to be right now but I've got to learn better ways to do this. And then hence I had to come back. So I came back to the office the following week and I went, okay, this is obviously where I'm supposed to be. I now need to make a plan for how I'm going to manage this. And then, you know, obviously for the following four or five years of ministry, I, you know, essentially stuck to that plan to make sure that I was giving enough time to my family, having enough time for myself having enough time even for your relationship with God because sometimes, you know, the whole Sabbath thing gets thrown out the window mm. when you when you're like got so much going on. Yeah. Um and that's how I survived. And so and then, you know, it became a thing where I was learning more and more how to handle the stress of it. 
Well, that was part one of Eric Scadabo's chat with Melanie Saywood, who's the author of the book Ministry Stinks, One Leader's Journey from Despair to Joy, and also the book Disillusioned, When One Gets Lost Following Jesus. So, as you can probably tell from those titles, that Melanie has encountered some bumps along the way in her faith journey. So, we invite you to join us again next time to hear more of her story and more about those bumps she's experienced in life. It's all coming up next time. Meanwhile, if you'd like to learn more about Melanie and her books, her website is meljsaywood.com. That's meljsaywood, S-A-W-A-R-D.com. Finally, a verse that comes to mind when reflecting on Melanie's story so far is John chapter 8, verse 32, where Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As we've heard, Melanie grew up a little bit confused in her childhood, growing up with two very different worldviews, one at home and the other at school. And at times, she was not always sure which worldview was which. But eventually... The truth set her free. Now, that's not to say she hadn't had any challenges, as we'll continue to hear, but overall, she's grown in her faith in Jesus, which is the foundation of her life. Well, until next time, when we'll hear part two of Melanie's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Basically, all of a sudden, there was like a conflict that occurred at our church and yeah, the world just completely changed for the next maybe four months. And, and then trying to continue to lead people who were also going through a lot, uh, you know, wondering and asking questions as to why everything had happened the way it had. So it was a very tough time. Melanie Saywood is the author of the book Ministry Stinks, One Leader's Journey from Despair to Joy and also Disillusioned when you get lost following Jesus. So, as you can probably tell from those titles, that Melanie has encountered some bumps along the way of her faith journey. We'll find out what those bumps were all about as Melanie continues to share her story next time. The Story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.